well, that was sweet, that was quiet, and now we're going to get loud, and now we're going to get crazy. I want to welcome everyone out to the most rowdy place on a So how you doing? I'm doing all right. My name is Bill Reeser. I want to welcome everyone out to Encounter. I'm the pastor of Encounter. Welcome to tonight's talk, Stop It. Uh, it's going to be an amazing talk. It's going to be an amazing night. Uh, it's going to be one of those nights that you'll never, ever forget. And to start tonight, I want to put our first anchor up on the screens. And anchor number one says, make the decision to get well from my problems and brokenness and admit that I do a terrible job at playing God. So I want to welcome everyone back to Encounter. We're kicking off our, our teaching series on our, what we call our 12 anchors of hope. Not 12 steps, 12 anchors of hope that we teach throughout the entire year. We're going to do a series on each anchor. I'm going to do a talk next week talking about I need an encounter. It's going to be part of part two for anchor one. And uh, it's going to be, and this also, the, these 12 anchors are part of a 12 week midweek study that you, if you haven't done an, an encounter study, you need to sign up for one tonight. It's going to be amazing. You don't want to miss uh, doing an encounter study. Now, I'm not sure if you've ever heard, I know, I know if you've been around me long enough, you've heard me talk about this concept of playing God. It may be new to you, playing God. I've never heard, what does it mean to play God? But all of us are guilty of playing God. All of us have tried to run our lives without the, without the love and the help of a loving God, the loving God of the universe who loves us despite ourselves. All of us have made idols of other people. All of us, all of us have tried to run our lives without the help of God. All of us uh, break the first commandment all the time by having other gods before our God. And many times we elevate ourselves into that God when we wake up every day and say, thanks, but no thanks, God. I got this one. I can handle my own problems. I can change on my own. I can change my past. I can control other people. I can manage my own pain on my own. And this is not a new concept for society. This is not a new concept for us. As a matter of fact, this issue of playing God, if you can trace the beginning of it, you, go, you have to go back to Adam and Eve. This is where it all started. One rule governed their life of paradise. And then the fall of man happened that affects each and every one of us in this place. The fall of man could have easily been titled playing God. And here's what happened. The devil showed up with a lie designed to induce doubt. That's what he does. And then he throws two massive lies on top of that that he still uses today and has used them on every single person that's ever lived and that's watching this service, whether you're here or live, on our Facebook page. Line number one, you're not going to die. That won't kill you. That's line number one. Line number two, you could be just like God. You could be just like God. You see, Adam and Eve believed those lies and bought into the fake news that they could become like God. And live like that without any consequences. Do whatever they want. And the problem with the whole scenario was Adam was very passive. He didn't step up to be the man of God that God called him to be. And he never stepped up to lead his wife. And his lack of leadership and ownership to be the priest of his home allowed outside forces to wreck his family and create a trail of hurts and issues that affect each and every single one of us today. Shame consumes them. Instead of taking personal responsibility like a man should, he first tries to hide from God because that's the first thing we all do when we mess up. We run. Now God's looking for Adam and he finds him 
And he said, who told you that you were naked and, and have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat? Well, here's Adam's response. He blames God first for the woman he put him there with. And then he blames Eve. And then he blames his wife. God then turns to Eve and she blames the devil. And then God tells everyone they're cursed. Thank you very much, Adam and Eve, for messing everything up. Friends, I say all of this, and it's important to go back to the beginning because humanity has never been the same, and humanity has never recovered from that fall, and that's why we all need recovery. We all need discipleship. We all need to get well. Everything is broken, and so are us. Nothing works right in a broken world. We're all born into sin, and we inherited a sin nature that every person who has ever lived, including you and I, have to deal with. We all need to get well from our past, our sins, our hurts, our disappointments in life, and from the hurts that have been inflicted on us. We all have issues. There are no perfect people. If you find one, let me know. See, there are only two types of people. People who know that they have problems and admit it, and people who know they have problems and will never admit it. That's what we call denial. And I have learned as a pastor that this issue of not wanting to get well, because that's what it's called. I don't want to get well. It's a big deal. It plagues families. It plagues churches. It plagues societies, businesses, relationships, marriages. Friends, playing God is the ultimate symptom of codependency. Because if you're not dependent on God, which is a healthy dependency, then you naturally become codependent in all your relationships. And all your relationships will suffer because you're not dependent on the one who God wants you to be dependent upon. That's why the first question we ask around here at Encounter is, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Myra, do you want to get well? All right, just check and see if you're alive, Myra. Glad to have you. Everyone say hello to Myra. Okay, listen, it's not an odd. We are concerned about your salvation, Myra. Listen, it's not an odd, funny, or even judgmental question, do you want to get well? It may sound offensive, in fact, it's a question Jesus posed to a man who had a sickness and infirmity for 38 years. And this guy, like many of us, did a terrible job of playing God. And he didn't want to get well. Now let's look at the scripture. It says this. It says, after this, this is in the fifth chapter of John. It's up on the screens. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now they're in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew, Bethesda, having five porches, in these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of water. I love this story. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first, after the stirring of the water, was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity, listen to this, 38 years and when Jesus saw him lying there, don't miss this, and knew he had already been in that condition a long time. So Jesus sees him, and he knows of his condition. Don't miss this. Jesus not only knew him and his condition, he knew his mental state, and he knew his physical state. Just like he knows each and every one of you where you're at. He said to him, these are the words of Jesus, do you want to be made well? First thing he says. Then say hello. and say, how you doing? Do you want to be made well? And just like this man, we come up with thousands of excuses why we don't want to get well. Check out the man's reply to Jesus. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me in the pool when the water is stirred. 
while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Jesus doesn't even respond to this. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. He simply gives the man three things to do. He just tells him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. He doesn't play around with the guy. He's not playing nice with the guy. He doesn't respond to his excuses. He doesn't respond to his denial and the fact that the man really didn't want to get well in the first place. Now, there is nothing in this story that suggests that Jesus was nice, that he was cordial, or even kind. I'm trying to paint a different picture of Jesus for you tonight. And when you look at the text closely, it suggests that Jesus was direct as one can be. It's a total of 14 words that is as direct and to the point as one can possibly be. Do you want to get well? Pick up your mat. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Those are the 14 words. That's pretty direct. That's crazy. And if you look at society today, one of the problems we have that we face are people who determine what is political correctness. Political correctness has gone wild. I don't know who's, who's, who's in charge of all this, but they've all lost their minds. They really have. I can give you hundreds of examples, but we don't have time for that. But I want to tell you this. The reason why I say that is that most churches in America today, if they were to ever say these 14 words to someone walking through their doors, do you want to get well? Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. These 14 words would be considered politically incorrect, judgmental, rude, even insensitive. Do you want to get well? Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Well, after walking with people for the past 20 years, I know that there are some people that have no intention of ever getting well. But they want the attention of other people because most of the time they love the attention just as long as it's attention, even if it's negative attention. Even when their life is on the mat. Even when their life is still a mess. And the fear is, if I get well, then who's going to notice me? Who's going to care for me? Who's going to talk to me? Now, don't confuse the message that we all get better together, and we do get better together. But we need people in our lives to love us enough to challenge us, to tell us what we need to hear, not just what we want to hear. We need people who are going to reject the tendency of codependency to tell us when we're going in the wrong direction. To tell us to simply stop it. Stop it. Just like Jesus does when he approaches this man at the pool after he heals him. Let's pick up the text. Later Jesus found him at the temple and said, he adds 14 words to the original 14 words for a total of 28. I've added them up. He says, see... See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse will happen to you. These are the 28 words, only 28 words, no more, no less, nothing in between, nothing added, that Jesus spoke to this man. Do you want to get well? Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Those are the 28 words. This is how Jesus deals with people who really don't want to get well. This is how Jesus deals with people who are lukewarm. 
This is how Jesus deals with people who have one foot in with God and one foot in with the world. And when you put all these 28 words together that Jesus communicates to this man, it defies logic. It defies sympathetic and grace-filled approaches, all sensitivity, and definitely all political correctness. In short, Jesus heals the man and tells him to stop it. Just stop it. Jesus didn't even pray for him. He didn't even hug him. He didn't even... He wasn't even compassionate. He was blunt and he was truthful. He was direct and he gave this man the best advice with the perfect 28 words that this man would ever hear in his life. And friends, I want you to know that this is a great picture of Jesus, that Jesus knows exactly what to say at the right time. He, he knows exactly what to do especially with someone who was in denial and never wanted to get well. What I love about Jesus is he breaks all the rules of ministry in this story. He breaks all the rules. It's a good reminder for me. It's a good reminder for us. It's a good reminder for anyone in recovery. It's a good reminder for anyone in ministry that there are no formulas when it comes to how you deal with other people. There are no formulas when it comes to how you minister and help other people. There are times when we need to tell people what they need to hear and not just what they want to hear. Sometimes people just need to hear, stop it. Sometimes the answer that you're looking for is a simple, stop it. Now, one of the reasons why I just simply love my wife, and I love my wife, is that my wife will counsel you much different than I will ever counsel you. I have seen my wife counsel hundreds and hundreds of people over the past 20 years. She has walked by, she has walked with certain people. But I can never ever recall a conversation where my wife didn't say, well, you just got to stop it. You just got to take your thoughts captive. You can't think like that. God doesn't want you thinking like that. God doesn't want you feeling like that. You just need to take your thoughts captive. You just need to do that. That's, that's how my wife thinks. That's how she ministers to people. Now, she does it with grace and love, but she's always telling people to stop it. Fact is, we've both adopted this sort of, this stop it mentality and approach to how we minister to others. Now, if I could label the way that we minister to others, I would say my wife is more like an Arnold Schwarzenegger. She's like real direct. Don't do that. Okay, check this out. This is how my wife does ministry, right? Here. Don't do that. That's my wife. That's how my wife does ministry. I'm a little bit more subtle. I like to just reel you in a little bit and just sit you down and tell you I love you, set expectations, tell you what kind of session we're going to have, tell you what's going to happen before I drop the boom. Uh, stop it. I tend to have the Bob Newhart approach like this. Uh, Dr. Switzer? Uh, yes, C come in. I'm just, just washing my hands. Uh, I'm Catherine Bigman. Janet Carlisle referred me. Oh, yes. Uh, still being uh, buried alive in a box. Yes, 
Yes, that's me. <laughs> Should I lay down? Oh no, no, no. We don't. We don't do that anymore. Just, just have a seat. And uh, let let me uh, tell you a, a bit about our, our billing. I um, I charge five dollars for the for the first five minutes, and and then absolutely nothing after that. How, how, how does that sound? <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> Too good to be true, as a matter of fact. <laughs> well, I can I can almost guarantee you that that our session won't last the full uh, the full five minutes. Now um, <laughs> we don't do any insurance billing, so you would either have to pay in in cash or by check. <clears throat> wow. Okay. And uh, and I I don't make change. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and go. <clears throat> go. Well, tell what? me, tell me about the problem that you wish to address. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I have this fear of being buried alive in a box. <laughs> I just, I start thinking about being buried alive, and I begin to panic. Has has, has anyone ever ever tried to to bury you alive in a box? No, no, but. Truly, thinking about it does make my life horrible. I mean, I can't go through tunnels or be in an elevator or in a house, anything boxy. So what, what you're saying is you're, uh, you're claustrophobic. Uh, yes. Yes, that's it. All right. Well, uh, let's go, Catherine. I'm, uh, I'm going to uh, say two words to you right now. I, I want you to listen to them very, very carefully. Then I want you to take them out of the office with you and incorporate them in into your life. Well, shall I uh, write them down? Well, it, if it makes you comfortable, it's just two words. Most we find most people can uh, can remember them. <laughs> okay. You ready? Yes. Okay. Here, here they are. Stop it! <laughs> Stop it? Yes. S-T-O-P, new word, I-T. So, what are you saying? <laughs> you, you know, it's funny. I, I, I say two simple words, and I cannot tell you the amount of people who say exactly the same thing you're saying. I mean, this, you know, this is not Yiddish, Catherine. This is English. Stop it. So, I should just stop it. There you go. I mean, you... you, you you don't want to go through life being scared of being buried alive in a box, do you? I mean, that sounds, sounds frightening. <laughs> yes. Then stop it! I can't. I mean, it's been with me no, since no, no, childhood. No, no, no. No, we, 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 we don't go there. Just, just stop. So I should just stop being afraid of being buried alive in a box. You got it. Good go. Well, it's only been... It's only been three minutes, so that will be um, uh, three dollars. Well, I, I only have a five, so. Well, I, I don't, I don't make change. Then I, I guess I'll take the full five minutes. Fine. All right. Well, what other uh, problems would you, would you like to address? <clears throat> Whew, uh, I'm bulimic. I stick my fingers down my throat. Stop it. <laughs> But I, I'm compelled to. My mom used to call me. No, 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 no. We we don't go there. But I've been having these dreams. No, we don't go there either. 
but my horoscope did say... We definitely don't go there. Just, <laughs> just stop it. What, what, what else? Well, I have self-destructive relationships with men. Stop it! <laughs> you you want to be with a man, don't you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, yes. Well, then stop it. <laughs> don't be such a big baby. I wash my hands a lot. That's all right. It is? I, I wash my hands all the time. There's a lot of germs out there. Uh -huh. Yeah, don't, don't, uh, don't worry about that one. I'm afraid to drive. Well, stop it! How, how are you going to get around? Get in the car and drive, you, you kook! Stop it! You stop it! You stop it! What's, what's the problem, Catherine? like this therapy at all you're just telling me to stop it and and you and you don't you don't like that no i don't so you think we're we're moving too fast is that it yes yes i do all right then let me uh, let me uh, give you 10 words that i i think will uh, clear everything up for you uh, you want you want to get a pad and a pencil for this one all right Ready? Mm -hmm. All right, here are the ten words. Stop it or I'll bury you alive in a box! Now, aren't you glad you've never been in a therapy session like that? Don't, that's why people don't call me for counseling. But you know, in fact of the matter is, when you study God's Word and you look at some of the teachings of Jesus, and you see scripture, even though God's word is a love letter to us, it's full of stop it statements for us, for our behalf, based on his love. When it comes to our sin, Jesus says, stop it. When it comes to our fears and worries, Jesus says, stop it. When it comes to judging, Jesus says, stop it. The Bible says, stop it. When it comes to adding or deleting anything from his word. Trying to get well on your own. Stop it. Following the world and its value system. Stop it. Relying on your own wisdom and knowledge. Stop it. Don't lean on your own understanding, but just trust and acknowledge God in all his ways, and he will direct your path, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Stop believing the lies in your head. Stop walking in the flesh, but walk in the spirit. Walk full of the spirit. Stop coping in unhealthy ways. Stop looking for scriptures to justify your own madness of self-justification. Stop incorporating God into your life and make him your entire life. Stop resisting the Holy Spirit. Stop not spending time with God in his word, in his presence. Stop believing those lies that come to your head. Take those thoughts captive. Find the antidote to that. Stop being complacent, lukewarm, and idle, because an idle mind is a devil's workshop. And you don't want to be guilty of walking with Jesus in a lukewarm manner, because you may just get spit out of his mouth. That's not a nice thing that is written in Scripture, but it's right there in the book of Revelation for us. You see, I've always played that Bob Newhart video in the past, and it's always made me laugh and say at the same time, imagine if recovery was that simple. Imagine if discipleship was that simple. 
Stop it. And I would always say, but we know it's not. Well, I may have a different tune now after all these years of working with people. And after working and walking with people close to two decades, my response is different today. After reading God's word and allowing that word to be the authority over my life, my response is different today. After yielding my life to Christ and allowing the Holy Spirit to lead me, to guide me into truth, convict me, rebuke me, redirect my steps, counsel me, and make God's word and will plain to me, my response is different today. After working for four mega churches all around the country in Colorado, Illinois, and in California, ministering and being exposed to close to 55,000 people on the weekends, my response is different today. After evaluating my former life and way of living and seeing how God and experience how God has transformed my life, my response is different today. My response today is simply stop it because what you think is impossible is possible with God. Never limit the Holy One of Israel. My response today is stop it because when you realize how much God loves you and how much he sacrificed for you and for your freedom, it should and it will melt your heart. Am I going to stop leading with grace and love? Of course not. Am I going to stop creating excellent environments where God works best? Of course not. Am I going to turn legalistic on you? Of course not. No, because the more I preach about God's love and God's grace, the more I need to preach God's truth and tell people to stop it. This is something. And a lot of you are just really maybe even watching this or listening to what I'm saying. Stop it. And you're probably thinking, Bill, this is a really, really hard teaching. This, this really is judgmental. What about grace? What about love? What about the love of Jesus? Doesn't Jesus always welcome everyone into his presence with grace? I used to say this. I used to teach this. But I realized after studying these scripture intently, I realized that I was in error. Not every situation was like that, like this situation with Jesus at the man at the pool. You show me, I, I, I'm not even sure that Jesus was even kind to this man. And it's important to know the scriptures because there'll, there'll be people that will say, well, Jesus always led with grace. I used to say that. I was in error. It's not always biblically correct. As with this story, he just didn't lead with grace. The Bible says he was, Jesus is full of grace and truth, not more one than the other, but the two go hand in hand. You see, there are those that just want a grace-filled ministry without truth. That's a sentimental ministry. There are those that want truth without grace. That, that is a legalistic ministry. But if we're to create an environment with grace and truth, that's the power of God that leads to salvation. And I just want to share some of the scriptures that really talk about this grace and truth and this hard balance. I'm not saying it's an easy balance, but I want to share some of them with you. Look at John uh, chapter 1, uh, verses 14 and 16 through 18. It says this, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Obviously, John, talking about Jesus. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full, here it is, full of grace and truth. Not more one than the other, 
not one before the other, but full of grace and truth. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. Now, does grace replace truth? Look what it goes on to say. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So there's that balance. A lot of people think that grace has replaced the law. Don't we live in the era of grace now? Didn't grace replace? Grace didn't replace the law. Grace came to fulfill the law. Look at the words of Jesus. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 17 through 20, friends, this is important. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, the one who still loves his sin and is not ready to surrender and submit to Jesus, his word, and his Holy Spirit will say that a teaching like this is very judgmental. It's too hard. Don't judge me. Don't be so judgmental. Now listen, if you're not a follower of Christ, I can't judge you. I can never judge you. I never will judge you. I don't want to judge you. And I can never expect a person who's not a follower of Christ to act like a follower of Christ. And that's a good rule for us as we try and talk to people in the world and love the people in this world. And I watch people on social media get so crazy about what people do or what they don't do. And we forget, as followers of Christ, never expect someone to act like a Christian who's not a Christian. But always know this. Before you judge others, it's so, I always tell people, it's so funny how ugly our sins look when other people commit them, right? Right? There you go. Try and deal with that one. But this is important, what I'm, what I'm trying to tell you. Um, and then, but if you're a follower of Christ, I hear this a lot from Christians. Don't tell me what to do. That's, that's just judgmental. Don't tell me to stop it. You're being judgmental. And what Christians don't understand as followers of Christ is that we are supposed to judge. Now, it has to be with the right motive and the right heart. And it always has to be to bring you back to God. But look what it says. Look what Peter says. This is hard. Peter says this, 1 Peter 4, 17 through 18, for it is time for judgment to begin in God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who don't obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner, the unbeliever? It's a hard teaching. But judgment does begin in the house of God. If I see you falling off, I'm going to tell you what you need to hear, not just what you want to hear. Peter wraps up the whole teaching. He ends it by saying, but grow in the grace and knowledge. In other words, in the truth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Friends, listen to me very carefully. You need to let that be the root of why you grow, but not just how you grow. Grace is the root, but knowledge and the truth, empowered by the Holy Spirit, is the how. 
Anchor number one at encounter is your starting point. Make the decision to get well from my problems and brokenness and admit that I do a terrible job at playing God. And that, my friends, takes humility. Because the root of playing God is pride. It really is. And we would be all wise to live out the counsel of James and Peter when they both said, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You see, stop it to the prideful person becomes an angry, resentful trigger of rebellion. And their reward is always shame and guilt. Stop it to the humble person becomes a sweet melody of grace and truth that sets you free. Its reward is experiencing the love of God that always heals you and that always gives you unspeakable joy. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much that there are times you tell us just to stop it. It may seem harsh, it may seem rude, it may seem direct, but it's still filled with love. You discipline those you love. And you tell us hard things at times. It's not always something sweet and beautiful, but it can be to stop it. Lord, as I was reminded this week, even in the one sermon that you preach over and over and over, and it was your main sermon, you basically told people to stop it when you said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. That was your main sermon. You preached that more than any other sermon. I couldn't think of anything more loving than for you to tell us to stop, repent, and turn and surrender our hearts to Jesus. Father, in a minute, we're going to experience, uh, in a few minutes, we're going to experience a baptism from our brother Remy, who has decided to give his life to Jesus Christ. And he's going he's gonna to seal that decision by going public with that, and he's going to get baptized in a pool right here. I challenge anyone else that wants to say, Lord Jesus, I need to stop where I'm going. I need to stop what I'm doing. And I need to surrender and give my life to you. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I didn't bring a change of clothes. I didn't bring uh, anything. But I'm just, I'm just going to get in that pool. I'm going to give my life to Jesus. And I'm going to seal it by getting baptized. Lord, even as I'm praying, Father, if there's anyone else that wants to make that decision to stop it, repent, turn from and turn to you and accept you as their Lord and Savior, I pray as we continue on in worship that you'll lead that person to make that decision. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.